1: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Tedeschi Trucks performs three nights this week at the Frederick Fairgrounds in Frederick, Maryland. I spoke with guitar master Derek Trucks about his rise from a child prodigy of Allman Brothers' descent to forming a Grammy-winning blues rock band with his wife, Susan Tedeschi. Yeah, it's good to be here.
0: I want to take it all the way back to the beginning. Um, Obviously you're the nephew of Butch Trust, of Allman Brothers Band. Uh god, one of the greatest bands of all time. How much uh how much did you actually listen to them growing up? I mean, obviously it you know it, it's your uncle founding the thing, but how how much are you aware of that? Like what age does it start to to actually, you know, percolate
2: for you that you say, "Oh, wait a minute, I'm part of this legacy here." <laughs> I mean, that that music was always around. It was always in the house. Um I mean, it's the first stuff I remember hearing. So it, it was never uh, not there. Uh, you know, and my dad was a huge fan of that music. He was, uh, you know, he was up at those Fillmore shows and um, it, it meant a lot to him. So it, it always, it always felt unique and special. But um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, I came into it when I first started playing music, that was, that was always in the, in the background for sure.
0: Did you have a, do you have a personal favorite Allman Brothers song?
2: Probably not a song. I mean, I, it was, I mean, that Fillmore East record and Eat a Peach were the ones that I always loved hearing and still do. Um, it, you know, it goes back and forth. There's there's a handful of great ones. That studio version of Blue Sky is pretty hard to beat.
0: <laughs> were you named after uh, Clapton, Derek, and the
2: Dominoes? I, I think that's true. Certainly, the spelling came from that. Um, but yeah, that that was the other record that was in heavy rotation in the house when I was born and growing up. So. Yeah, that 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 factored in too. (laughs) Awesome.
0: Now, uh, describe the story for our listeners. Try to paint a visual picture for me of, you know, where you are when you get your hands on that first guitar.
2: I mean, it it was uh, kind of not that interesting of a story. (laughs) I was, uh, (laughs) uh, uh, you know, my mom would uh, we on the way home from school, if she'd see a garage sale, we'd stop in from time to time, and I think I had uh, five bucks in my pocket, and there was a really crappy guitar land. It was the only thing interesting I, I didn't really have a huge drive to play at that point it was just uh it, it, it wasn't a good garage sale and there was nothing for a, a eight-year-old other than uh, a guitar with four strings on it so that's, that's how it started i brought it home and um, my mom told me that my dad played a little bit and if i bugged him he would uh he would show me how to string it up and make it work and that's that's how it started it, it really wasn't uh it wasn't me wanting to play it just kind of fell into my lap and then you know when you're that age sometimes you you take the things sometimes things are um they feel easy or natural and you just roll with it it's that way with sports sometimes and it was that way with uh with guitar and then my dad had a, a few friends that played in local bands one of the guys played in a band with my uncle in the 80s a band called trucks uh, this guy's name was jim graves um still lives in the area down here a uh, great guitar player but he was he was the first guy that came over and and taught me uh you know where what the strings were what the notes were and um just how to play cowboy chords and i would start i started sitting in with him at uh you know local clubs and that's that's kind of how it got rolling
0: you mentioned that it sort of just kind of came naturally you made the sports analogy for some people like i i've always wondered that you know you're one of the greatest guitarists of all time at this point but like uh, I've always wondered that whether, you know, it's, if it's something you're born with or if you truly believe that it's something that you can hammer away at and get better. You know, like advice for other guitarists. Is it is there an element that you think that you're just naturally gifted or how much can you make up for it with just busting your ass on the
2: guitar? You know, it's different for different people. I mean, I, I wasn't I wasn't somebody that practiced a ton, um, but once I started playing, it was always there and I always played. So I, I logged the hours in different ways. Um, but I know people that... Um, you know, just didn't, they didn't seem to have it in the beginning and they just, they worked until they did. Um, I I think, I think you can come at it um, in any way. I I think really it's about um, staying with it in the, in the drive. I, I don't, you know, some people might get there a little quicker, but as as long as you get there, I don't think it matters. Right, exactly.
0: Um so all right, so so you're you know, you're you're at this young age, you're you're practicing
2: here just to keep moving chronologically. <laughs> uh
0: some people are starting to call you a little bit of a child prodigy, but you know, to your point you're just loving the music. Um, I think you get your first paid gig at eleven. Is it true you started using the slide because your hands were a little small on the guitar? Is that how you got around it?
2: I mean when when the guitar player that brought over a slide for the first time showed it to me you know it It that definitely was a part of it i mean i was i think i was nine or ten when i first started playing slide and uh yeah it just it made more sense and then all those sounds i, I were hearing on the almond brothers records all that Dwayne almond uh slide stuff it, it all of a sudden made sense to me so that that was it too it was a combination uh, but it was definitely easier for me to play slide at that point than than straight guitar and the guitar i had um it was hard to fret that thing. It wasn't very, it wasn't very nice. So.
0: <laughs> what was it like? I mean, to be like a you know early teenager, I think like thirteen, to play across a guy like a legend like Buddy Guy.
2: Uh, Buddy was amazing. I mean, he he still does this. He takes young musicians under his wing, and he you know he shows you the ropes, and he he's incredible. I mean, I I learned a lot from being on stage with him. He he would bring a band down to a whisper, and um, the way he would deal with it. The dynamics of, of the music was incredible. And, um, you know, and he, he taught you the, the history of it while you were doing it, while you were playing with him. So, uh, yeah, th- that's uh, th- those are lessons that you, you're really fortunate to get. And there's really no, no other way to get it other than being on stage with with people that have been there.
0: Yeah, and then the lessons continue because in your early 20s, you'd already played with, like, Bob Dylan or Joe Walsh. I mean, you're playing with the greatest musicians of all time in your sort of your early, you know, adolescent formative years. But memories are, or anything you picked up from touring with those guys?
2: Yeah, I mean, anytime you're on, on stage with somebody like that, I mean, a lot of these people, they wrote the book in, you know, different styles. Um, you know, BB was that way, certainly getting on stage with the Allman Brothers and – uh Dylan, all, all of them. I mean, th- those are those are moments while wow, they're happening. You're you're fully soaking it in, and you realize that uh, y- you better pay attention. There's uh, there's lessons here, and there, you know some of those moments you realize these are these are stories I'm going to be telling my kids and their their kids. <laughs> so when you're on stage <laughs> with BB, you realize that wow, this is a uh, this is a thing that's happened. <laughs> it's better you better remember this. So. Uh yeah, I mean you, you feel really fortunate when when that stuff is going on and uh yeah, there's certainly a lot to learn. You learn more in those moments than you do talking to people about it, that's for sure. I mean people often ask, uh, anybody ever give you advice? And I mean there's, there's definitely I've I've gotten some good advice along the way, but it's that it's that real time on stage. It's something your senses are wide open when you're in those positions and that's when you that's when you learn the stuff. I mean, when people tell you not to uh, not to mess around with with heroin and other things, and they show you their track marks, that's a pretty good lesson too. But the, the musical ones are the ones that stick. Well, I guess that one stuck too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, on stage and off stage lessons equally yeah. important, my friend.
2: <laughs> That's right, <Pay> attention. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, exactly. All right, and then uh you know those final few years right, this we're talking like right before, you know, you meet Susan Tedeschi, but you know you're you're doing the Derek Trucks band thing, I think in the early 90s you formed them, and, but then also you're still touring with Almond Brothers, officially joining them I think, you know, 99ish. Um how cool was it for you to have your own band going on with the Trucks, but at the same time you're honoring the family legacy with Allman brothers and you know how cool to, to join them you know you, you grew up listening to them so you're finally playing with them but how important was it to have your own project going alongside with that
2: well i mean when i got the, the call to join the almond brothers i was it was something i never thought would happen and i was deep into the music with uh with Yan rico and todd and kofi and and mike and it, it wasn't um it wasn't even an option to not continue it I don't know if Mike was in the band at that point. I think it was pre, um, but it, it was just, uh, that's what we were doing. And, and I had to find a way to do both. And yeah, I mean, it was incredible to go back and forth and uh, playing small clubs with our guys and just feeling like uh, you had to make the show work so you could get gas money to get to the next gig and then hop on tour with the Almond Brothers, which was just a, a total a different level of traveling. But the music felt, I mean, it felt similar. I mean, it, a good night's a good night. A bad night's a bad night. It doesn't matter how you're getting there and what you're traveling in. It, the the feeling is pretty similar. So that was a good lesson. Um, but yeah, I mean, it I, it was never in my mind that I that I could stop doing what we were doing with our group. I felt like that was that was vitally important and that was going to be that was going to be my future and our future. And um, you know that the the Almond Brothers, it was great to be able to be a part of it and honor their legacy, but that was
0: Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S., the person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends.
1: Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel.
0: For sure. All right. We finally reached to it now that the life-changing moment. When did you meet Susan Tedeschi? What, what was that initial encounter?
2: Well, I I'd met her once before at, uh... One of my band shows at, uh, what was it, Smith's Old Bar in Atlanta. I met her briefly. And then she was on tour opening for the Almond Brothers that first year I was in the band. So that's when we really connected, um, you know, out on the road for months at a time and, um, you know, seeing her do her thing. And, um, you don't meet many people that, uh, have that going on. And, you know, not, not many women know who Howlin' Wolf is and Wayne Shorter. So that helps. Nice.
0: I know you were doing Soul Stew revival at first. Why'd you make the switch to call it today to get your guys to, uh, you know, names and family legacies in there?
2: When we did Soul Stew, I, we were just kind of dipping our toes in to see how it would feel to, you know, be on the road and put a band together. And we still had our own groups at the time. And when we decided to really do it, I, I didn't want to keep both of our solo bands going as as a backup plan. I, I knew it had to be all or nothing. So. Um, you know, we decided once we, once we did it, it had to be a a, a new thing and it had to, we had to start from scratch. And, you know, we didn't, in those early years, we didn't really carry over a lot of the music we did with Soul Sue into, into this band. We tried to start it fresh. So it it was really more about just making a a clean break and, uh, starting something without a safety net really.
0: Well, you hit the frigging ground running, man. I think your first album together, Revelator, uh, won the Grammy for best blues album, um, Were you surprised at all that, you know, you got that much acclaim right away with that first album or did it feel that good as you were putting it together?
2: I I think we felt pretty good about it. Um, you know, I mean, you never expect those things, but, uh, I, I felt, I felt like we were, we were hitting it and I felt like the band was, uh, it was the right thing and everybody's head was fully in it. And it was a special time. I mean, we were just getting our studio together. We were just working with Jim Scott for the first time. I mean, we were, we were all learning and growing quite a bit. And, uh, and, and the band was fully focused on, on the task. And there were great songs on that record. And um, I mean, a lot of those tunes we play um, almost every night still. So, um, you know, it, it, it's music that lasts. And yeah, I mean, sometimes when you're recording a track, it, you, you have that feeling that this one's going to be around a minute. And there was a lot of that on that record.
0: Awesome. Well, so I know that one will probably always hold a special place in your heart. <laughs> the, you know, your first one that Tadecu Trust released, but how do you think you evolved over the next three more albums? And, you know, how would you even describe your own sort of, you know, evolution over those albums?
2: I mean, the band is, has gotten better every every year somehow. I mean, there's been, there's been an ebb and flow, and there's some tours that are better than others, and there's definitely been times where I felt like we had to search for it again, but uh, somehow it just keeps, keeps rolling. Um, I mean, I, I just think everybody is the musicians in this band you are just always trying to find the thing and trying to make it better. And I mean, there's been a lot of, a lot of life has happened to us between then and now, and that stuff makes you play different and play better um, as long as your head's in it. Um, But yeah, somehow the band just keeps getting better. I mean, these last few tours we've done, um, I mean, last year was a a difficult year, but the, the band stayed solid and the band kind of circled the wagons and somehow got tighter and, and stronger as a group. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, you're, you're onto something and it's a healthy thing when that keeps happening. Cause it, it, that's not always the case. I've certainly been a part of things where, um, there were times where you, you knew it wasn't getting better musically and you knew you were kind of taking steps backwards and you don't know how to fix it. Um, but with this group, we've really never had that problem. It always seems to be, Sometimes inching in the right direction, and sometimes it's it's flying ahead in the right direction. But it always seems to be it seems to be a a purpose for some reason.
0: I love it. I remember one of the big things I think I remember from that festival was Clapton. I mean, do you think that exposed your music to you know an even wider audience? Like that that thing was awesome.
2: Yeah, I mean that was great timing for this band. Um, The Ahmed Brothers were originally supposed to do I think that second Crossroads that we did. And then Greg uh, got sick and I think a liver was available. And so we filled in last minute. I mean, maybe 12 hours before we were flying up, we were trying to find the band and not all the musicians were available. Uh, JJ was off on tour in Canada somewhere and had a gig that night. So we, we ended up having some guys filling in for that one show. It was really thrown together early on in the band's uh life. And, uh but it, it happened and it came together and the, the few songs we played were great. And it really, really did propel this thing forward. So you know, sometimes you just got to be uh, you got to be ready when the balls hit to you. <laughs> it's got you never <laughs> know exactly. And
0: how cool was it, man? To, I mean, we're at DC station, so I got to ask, how cool was the White House? Uh, I guess that was in 2012.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, it's it's wow. It seems like a lifetime ago. Um, there was actually real music in that place for a while. <laughs> <It was> pretty <laughs> incredible. I was on stage with uh, Buddy Guy and BB King, and there was. Uh, you know, the president and first lady and people in the room that actually understood what that meant and cared about it. And it was, uh, I mean, they were honoring BB B. King in the East room of the white house. And, you know, there were a lot of powerful people in the room, but you knew who uh, you knew who the man of the hour was. <laughs> it was uh, it was a guy from Mississippi. It was, it was a, that was an incredible day. Um, and, you know, just, the, the way that place felt. It was, uh. maybe someday we'll get back to that. It'll it'd be nice to have music in there again. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I think it keeps you sane, man. I, th- I really think it helps.
0: I, I really, I mean, music always, music is the medicine, man. Oh, you mentioned B.B. B. King. I think when you played with him out at the Hollywood Bowl, I think I read something where he, he, paid you the ultimate compliment after you got off stage he was like that's the best that's as good as i've ever heard the guitar played i mean is it strange for you when you see you know when you hear someone say something like that or when you start projecting yourself with the all-time greats, or rolling stone ranks you amongst all these that you've admired for so long life it's rare air man i could can you even see yourself in an all-time you know view like that i mean that's got to be a little humbling
2: i mean you you don't you don't think about it often. I mean, the the Rolling Stone thing. You don't really know what to make of that. Um, when now, when BB pays you a compliment, um, that that feels different. I mean, that that feels like. Uh, I mean, it's your hero, and it, it feels like real validation. And um, it, if anything, it just makes you feel like, all right, we're on the right track. You can you can do what you're doing confidently and and not overthink it all the time so but yeah, those things actually give you it does give you a little bit of uh a, a little bit of juice going forward and you know you you think about those or you feel that you feel it differently um you also look over your shoulder to see if he's talking to somebody else <laughs> it, it <doesn't> fully register. <laughs> did he mean me <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean he, he's just one of the sweetest humans of all time you know and uh you know he, he's like like buddy guy and like some of the people we've been lucky to play with they they want that music carried on and they want they want people that that believe it and feel it and, and mean it to keep doing it so uh you know that that's when they say those things or do those things they have a purpose um i mean bb was always that way with susan too he would always have her on stage and when she would sing he would just light up and those are you know that it gives you confidence to keep doing what you're doing and and uh you don't really care what other people think if uh, if if BB likes it <laughs> or if Little Milton likes it or John Lee Hooker. You're like those are those are my people. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's, that's that's the only
0: ranking in. I care about.
2: <laughs> <laughs> totally so.
0: all right, cool. Well, you've been more than generous with your time. Thanks so much. Just sort of closing, final question. You know, what can we expect to hear?
2: You know, the the, the beauty of this group is that, that everyone's always trying to to dig deep into the catalog and find tunes we haven't played in a while or. Even songs of ours that we you know have haven't broken out yet or um so it's it's always different. I mean we keep track of the set list that we played last year and um the last time we're in a room and you you really try to make sure you don't repeat yourself too much. Um you never want to sacrifice the show getting there, so you you don't you don't just go obscure just to do it. But there's there's enough good music in everyone's catalogs at this point where we can dig pretty deep and, and change it up. And it, it, keeps it, it keeps it fresh for everybody on stage. It keeps us on our toes. And, uh, you know, we've been, we've been breaking out of, you know, a little acoustic set of, of every once in a while, every few nights, especially when we're in a venue for more than one night. That's, that's been a lot of fun something nice about hearing the voices um, when everything else is stripped down around it and uh but yeah just different sides of the band but there's, there's a lot to a lot to dig into
0: awesome everybody in kadeski trucks band hey thanks so much you were great thank
2: you man we'll see you soon
1: thanks so much for joining us on beyond the fame with jason fraley remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear we'll see you next time